Hello and welcome to the RBC Ross Trevor Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community, to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. In the 1980s, J.F. Lawton was a struggling screenwriter. He was desperate for a break and he was churning out scripts that he hoped some movie producer might buy. And one of his stories was originally titled 3000, and it's about two horrible people. One was a bad-tempered, foul-mouthed, poorly educated commercial sex worker without privilege, education or money who was addicted to drugs. The other was an equally bad-tempered, foul-mouthed, heartless, cruel but very wealthy corporate raider who drank way too much alcohol. And 3000 referred to the amount the rich person paid to the commercial sex worker for a week of her time. And after seven days living an extravagantly rich world awash with money and power, she was dumped back onto the streets, hopeless. He sold the script to a production company that then went broke. And ultimately, Disney bought the rights, making a much catchier, happier, lighter movie with a different ending. And it was a huge blockbuster, propelling the female lead to superstardom. Can anyone guess what that movie was? And can I please have the screen at the back so I can see my slides? That would be helpful. So Pretty Woman, you're right, many of you guessed that. It was released in 1990, starring Julia Roberts as the sex worker and Richard Gere as the wealthy Edward. Now, I don't support the premise of the movie and I've got a number of issues with it, but if you've seen the movie, you probably remember the iconic shopping scene. So Edward has a variety of social engagements. He's paying Vivian to go with him, but Vivian doesn't have anything appropriate to wear. So Edward gives Vivian a huge wad of cash and tells her to go and buy some clothes. She wanders up and down along a Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills, wearing what she would normally wear to pick up her sex works clients. Condescending shop staff take one look at her and decide that she isn't the sort of person who could afford their clothes. And in one classic piece of dialogue, Vivian looks at a dress on a mannequin and asks, how much is this? And the assistant replies, I don't think it would fit you. Vivian responds, I didn't ask if it would fit, I asked how much it was. Another assistant responds, it's very expensive. Vivian says, look, I've got money to spend in here. And then the assistants together say, I don't think we have anything for you. Please leave. So at the end of the day, Vivian is left with no new clothes, humiliated and frustrated. No one would serve her. The following day, Edward comes with her and the difference is stark. As they walk to the shop, Vivian says, these stores are not nice to people. And Edward replies, stores are never nice to people, they're nice to credit cards. In the shop, a different one from the previous day, Edward says to the manager, we're going to be spending an obscene amount of money, so we are going to need a lot more people sucking up to us. 
So staff buzz around Vivian, lots of money is spent, lots of clothes are bought, and outwardly Vivian is completely transformed. Wearing her new clothes, she returns to the shop where she was humiliated the day before. This time, the staff are immediately attentive, but they don't recognise her as the person they refused to serve yesterday. Vivian raises her arms filled with shopping bags and says, big mistake, big, huge, before leaving saying, I've got to go buy some more clothes. Let's pray. Lord, please, please help us to hear what you are saying to us this morning. Help us to hear your good news and help us to understand what this means for our circumstances. Help us to hear the opportunities you offer us and to receive thoughtfully your reminders of those things that we need to change. Help us to close the gap between the good news we have received from you and how we live. Help us move from thinking about following Christ as religion or ritual and help us to understand the reality of living out our faith in Jesus. And Lord, help us to walk that talk with integrity every day. Amen. Let's read James. James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. No, that is not the right verse. Where's missing a slide? I'm just going to read it. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favouritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. But you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So this is the third now in our series, uh, Walk the Talk, from the book of James. 
Its message about hypocrisy challenges us to reduce the distance between what we say and what we do, between what we profess and how we live. In the past two weeks, both Dan and Ian have referenced the Bible Project's description of the book of James, a beautifully crafted punch in the gut for those who want to follow Jesus. Just what we all need, not. As Dan said two weeks ago when we unpacked James 1 uh, verses 1 to 18, the gospel, that good news about Jesus, is enriching news for the poor and humbling news for the rich. William Barclay, a professor of divinity, described it this way in his 1958 commentary. There is no book in any literature with such a burning social passion as the Bible. There is no book which speaks so explosively and dynamically of social wrongs and social injustice. There is no book so burningly conscious that the great gap between riches and poverty is an active and terrible transgression of the law of God and the will of God. There is no book which has, in fact, proved so powerful a social dynamic as the Bible has. The Bible does not condemn wealth as such, but there is no book which more strenuously insists on the responsibility of wealth and on the perils which surround someone who is abundantly blessed with this world's goods. So we read in the Old Testament that the Jewish law explicitly required people to provide for the poor. And Jesus taught a lot about responsibility to care for the poor. In Luke 6, we read, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. And then, goes, and then Jesus, uh, in, that, in that section of his Sermon on the Mount, goes on to warn those who are rich, for you have already received comfort, and those who are well-fed for you now will go hungry. As Luke 14 records, one Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers and sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor and those with disabilities that make them vulnerable physically and economically, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And we read in the Gospels many other examples of Jesus' concern for the poor and the marginalised. The early church started so well 
In Acts 2.44, we read that all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And this initial example of welcome, inclusion, provision was so attractive to the people looking on that in verse 47 we read, and the Lord added daily to the number of those who were being saved. In Galatians 2, 9 and 10, uh, there's a note that when James, Cephas and John commissioned Paul and Barnabas to go to the Gentiles, all they asked of Paul was that they continue to remember the poor, the very thing that Paul had been eager to do all along. So what happened? Why are we reading only a few books later, after such a great start, that James has to address issues of discrimination in the church? It started so well, and it went wrong so quickly. William Barclay describes it like this. There is no doubt that there must have been social problems in the early church. The church was the only place in the ancient world where social distinctions did not exist. That's the wrong quote. Perhaps just, if we just get rid of them, thanks. Um, they're distracting me, so just get rid of them. <laughs> I'll start that again. There is no doubt that there must have been social problems in the early church. The church was the only place in the ancient world where social distinctions did not exist. There must have been an initial awkwardness when a master found themselves sitting next to their slave or when a master arrived at a service in which their slave was actually the leader. The gap between the slave, who in law was nothing more than a living tool, and the master who had complete control of them, must have been so wide as to cause problems of approach on either side. Further, in its early days, the church was predominantly poor and humble. And therefore, if a rich person was converted and did come to the Christian fellowship, there must have been a very real temptation to make a fuss of them and to treat them as a special trophy for Christ. Now, here in Australia, we have a whole legislative scheme, various frameworks, uh, standards, policies, guidelines that prohibit discrimination on the basis of race, sex, gender, age and disability. But there is no legal prohibition in Australia that prohibits discrimination on the basis of social status or how much money you have or appear to have. And as Dan said two weeks ago, we live in a world that admires and celebrates the pursuit of wealth. Even more than that, we live in a world, and historically this has been the case too, that regularly condemns those without financial resources as lacking ambition, lazy, or being at fault in some way. 
And whether we like it or not, most of us, many of us, have absorbed that attitude. That, that people are responsible for their own condition. But that means we have failed to recognise how privilege works. The privilege of the family that we've been born into, where we live, the educational opportunities that we've had, the language that we speak, our support networks, and the cultural capital that we have without even realising it. But these last 18 months of the pandemic have shown us very quickly, very clearly, how quickly financial and job status can change. And we read a couple of weeks ago in James 1.11, the rich are like a wildflower. They will pass away even while they go about their business. And we'll read in a few more weeks' time, James 5 warns us that wealth and riches can easily rot and be corroded. William Barclay writes this, the church must be the one place where all distinctions are wiped out. There can be no distinctions of rank and place and prestige when we meet in the presence of God who is the King of glory. There can be no distinctions of merit and worth when we meet in the presence of the supreme holiness of God. In the presence of that glory, all earthly distinctions are less than dust and all earthly righteousness are as filthy rags. In the presence of God, all people are one. Fine words, but if we're honest, we have to recognise that the church globally, historically, and still now, falls short of that so many times. As this local community of God's people here at Ross Trevor, and, it, and as individual followers of Christ, me as an individual follower of Christ, I have fallen short of that so many times. We've made assumptions We've used stereotypes. We've respected some people more than others. We've treated people differently. We've consciously and unconsciously treated some people as having more worth or of being of higher status than others. And that's wrong. And as we've done that, we have diminished, hurt, excluded, humiliated others. And that's wrong. And I want to say sorry. And I want to lead us now in a prayer if you want to, to uh, confess that to God. It's slide 16 if we could put this one up. I'll read it. Pray with me if you feel um, that you agree with these words. Lord, we confess that we have discriminated against our brothers and sisters in Christ. We confess the many times we have not valued or treated others as you would have us treat them. And we acknowledge too, Lord, that whenever we have not loved others as ourselves 
or honoured them as you honour them, we have not honoured you. We need you to change our attitudes and behaviour to make us more like Jesus. Barclay encapsulates it in these words. The message of Christianity was that those who mattered to no one else mattered intensely to God. Now, you might have been sitting here this morning, listening to all of this, feeling more sinned against than sinner. So if you've experienced what it's like to be overlooked, to be pushed to the bottom of the queue, to be treated less favourably than those you thought were your brothers and sisters in Christ, you might have first-hand knowledge of what it's like to fight against the seemingly endless tide of lack of privilege, lack of support, lack of financial resources, or systemic discriminatory barriers that prove almost impossible to overcome. You might be sitting here right now listening to me, raging at the injustice of it all, in life, in the world, and here in the church, where you'd hoped that just for once it might have been different. Well, James 2 is good news for you. It's good news of God's welcome, his inclusion, provision for you, opportunity and mercy. It confirms that God sees you as just as valuable as anyone else, that you belong here, that you deserve respect, that you deserve your place. James 2.5 says these words, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, hasn't God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? Matthew 5.3, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this from the message, 1 Corinthians 1.26-31, Take a good look, friends at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the best and brightest among you, not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses, chooses these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies? That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything we have, right thinking and right living, a clean slate and a fresh start, comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. Psalm 139 reminds us that we're fearfully and wonderfully made and that God knows us inside out. Romans 5, 8 tells us that God showed his love for us while we were still sinners. And Christ died for us at that point. And Jeremiah 29, 11 reminds us that for, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. James 2, 6 and 7 warns against dishonouring the, the poor. And it also reveals that insistence on obligations by the rich is exploitation. It's a stern rebuke to all who seek to further entrench their privilege and status at the expense of those who can least afford it. 
And we can't try, unfortunately, to convince ourselves that we've just put little holes in the pane of glass. James 2, 8 to 11 reminds us that any time we show favouritism, we're not honouring Jesus' command to love our neighbour as ourselves. And so we've broken the whole of God's law. So it's clear from what I said today and from what we can read in James 2 that that James commands us not to discriminate. It diminishes and dishonours others. It breaks God's law. But perhaps James has even more to teach us. Underlying the more obvious rom-com plot in Pretty Woman, there is actually a very pointed social commentary on the nature of so many of our relationships. Everything in that movie is a transaction. Appearances, sex, status, power. And it was quite revolutionary because unlike similar characters in other movies of that genre, My Fair Lady, Made Made of Manhattan, and there's lots of others, this was the first time the female character had been a commercial sex worker. So it was clear that we had two people coming to the table, making transactions. Vivian trades her body for money, but she doesn't sell her integrity or her autonomy. Money can buy clothes and flattery in the dress shop, but it can't buy respect from those who know what she does for a living. And yet Edward sold his integrity a long time ago. He's built vast wealth on the back of viewing the honourable careers of others as meaningless things that can be bought, dismembered and sold again. Outwardly respected, inwardly he's alone, compromised and has to buy the companionship of other human beings. But because this is Disney, of course there's a happy ending. He reforms her, she reforms him, and even ultimately, that too is a transaction. They live happily ever after, but we know that life isn't like that. So what else can we learn about that? And what, what else can that teach us about James 2? Well, I think there's an underlying message in James 2. And it reminds us that as members of Christian community, we're not here to get what we can from each other. Living life as a follower of Jesus is not transactional either. And our life in Christian community must not be transactional. Our focus must not be on prestige or status or appearance. We're all equal before God. We all have something valuable to contribute to God's family. Instead, as we read in verses 11, 12, we are to speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. These last verses here from James 2 are an invitation from God, an invitation to experience God's unbounded possibility and opportunity, setting us free from judging others as inferior or superior. Freedom from stereotypes. Freedom from assumptions. No longer 
being judged by meaningless measures the world uses. No longer defined or confined by the judgment of others, but free because of God's mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And with God's help, empowered by his love and enabled by the Holy Spirit living in us, let us, as individuals and as a community here at Ross Trevor, extend his mercy in the same way. Amen. Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through The Hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.